Hi, everybody. This is John Petrolis, host of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, another show from your friends at Gray. On Gray Matter, we explore the most innovative and inspiring ideas from creators, founders, and inventors. We dig deep to learn about the problems that led to big solutions through in-depth conversations. And right now, you can listen to our conversations with creators like poet Jay Ivey and comedian Cecily Strong of SNL, the founder of The Moth, George Dawes Green, the couple that started Unsplash, and the inventor of the not-reaching pouch, Jackie Carter. And this year, we have even more great conversations coming your way from innovators from industries including fashion, social media, tech, and more. Episodes are released every other Tuesday. After you finish listening to The Five Things, go check out Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find podcasts. That's spelled G-R-E-Y, Gray Matter. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast, the five things where we dive deep and share our takeaways to things that are happening in social media this week. Joining me today, we have Amanda and Juliana. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kenny. Hey, Juliana. Hey, Juliana. What's up? This is such a crew. Uh, I'm so (laughs) glad that you can all be here with me this week. Let's dive right into what's happening. First, Norway's new law requires disclosures for retouched photos online. Second, Roblox and Sony Music partner to develop more in-game music. TikTok launches longer video options. Instagram announces a shift from photo sharing with new video features. And then finally, Pinterest bans ads with unhealthy weight loss language and imagery. It's going to be a good one this week. So buckle up. Juliana, why don't you kick us off and talk a little bit about Norway's new law around disclosures for retouched photos? Yeah, this is absolutely wild. It's really interesting. Uh, So recently, legislators in Norway have passed a law requiring all influencers and advertisers to clearly label when the photos they're posting are retouched. So this is mass market, anywhere where an image is posted and an influencer is expected to receive payment or any other benefits, so any form of sponsorship, and for all social media. And so as it stands, uh, according to the Norwegian um, government, ads where body shape, size, or skin has been retouched, even through a filter before a photo is taken, will need a standardized label designed by the Norwegian Ministry of Children and Family Affairs. Examples of manipulations requiring labeling include enlarged lips, narrowed waist, and exaggerated muscles. So it's, you know, across the gamut. And obviously the question kind of on everybody's lips is what is going to be the plan for enforcement? But Norwegian officials, while admitting that's going to be pretty hard to enforce, especially with, you know, how imperceptible some edits are today, if you do get caught slipping, violations are punishable by a fine or in some extreme cases, jail time. So, you know, what an extreme case of photo photo manipulation looks like to be seen also kind of what the results of this push will be. I mean, personally, I'm 110% here for greater transparency around photo manipulation. Um, I think we all kind of come to the point of expecting that what we see in mass marketing is edited, but when you're scrolling through your Instagram feed, easy to get lost in kind of the sea of perfection and lose connection to reality. And I also think for influencers or even a small advertiser, you know, if this has you kind of shaking in your boots, uh, it's, it's kind of a good time to ask why. You know, the amount of tech that exists now to allow people to look otherworldly perfect, you know, these unrealistic ideals for for body and and image, you know, it's allowed almost individuals to make their brand kind of 
begin and end with just looking absolutely stunning and fomenting jealousy in teenagers, right? So it's really a question of if this is something that kind of decimates your presence on social media, uh, you know, what this means for the brand that you're cultivating. I'm very excited, but happy to hear what you guys have to say. Yeah, I think this is is a pretty great move, especially for the fashion industry. I know that um, I think it was France has pretty strict laws around the like body types, the way that they're shown in fashion ads and things like that. So there's been some other, you know, similar policies globally around this. But I think this is the first one to your point, Juliana, that really makes I think it's going to hit fashion pretty hard. It hits the fashion industry pretty hard to say. Why are you, you know, manipulating these photos? What are you trying to convey and why does that sell your product? Do you need another, you know, advertising approach, another strategy to what you're doing and how you're talking to people? That's likely an outdated way to sell things, especially clothing. Um, so yeah, I'm curious to see how it kind of ripples through the industry and, and changes globally how brands come to market. I feel like the European approach to disclosures has always been more progressive and ahead of its time, if you think about um, the disclosures that the EU and, and others within Europe used to put on cigarettes that were much more graphic and were like, this is the truth of what's going on. Uh, and it created a uh, more honest dialogue around the issue of smoking. You look at what Norway is doing here and what I imagine the rest of Europe will do and follow suit it creates a more honest and truthful and transparent conversation around body image and body type and understanding that 99.9999% of the people look like these transparent photos that haven't been retouched. And it is an unhealthy expectation to try and live to the standards of what, you know, these brands are trying to create when they retouch these photos uh, and it's it's just unnecessary and unhealthy expectations that marketers are putting out into society. Uh, I think that for all of us as agency people and, and marketers ourselves, you know, it is incumbent on us to try and push out the most truthful image of what life is like so that we can create a real authentic connection with our audiences. Um, so and I, I yep. hope it I hope it comes, you know, I hope it comes to our shores sooner rather than later. But I mean, definitely, you know, to your point, Kenny, about, you know, the, the cigarette boxes from Europe and Canada that have like the gum disease mouth on it. That's something you only see if you're buying the cigarettes in that space. But obviously, with the globalization of social media and the ability to follow a Norwegian influencer here in the U.S., you know, if you have kind of the constant exposure that, you know, picture edited, this is what you should realize, you know, is, is false when you're looking at these type of photos. You know, it allows for that, even if it isn't something implemented by the American government, at the very least for American you know, audiences to get more comfortable with the idea of, like you're saying, understanding that 99% of people look like people and not, um, you know, dolls. Well, this was really interesting. And I think we're going to chat a little bit more about this as we get later on into the things that we have here. Uh, but let's take a slight pivot and talk about what is going on with Roblox and Sony Music and what they're doing to develop more in-game music. So Amanda, a resident in-house gaming expert, tell us what's happening. This is exciting. So Sony and Roblox just signed um, a new contract. They're, they haven't released a lot of details around it. The way that they're describing it is basically that the Sony artists on their roster will have more access to in-game oppor innovative opportunities, which I think if anyone saw the Lil Nas X concert last year, it was like, in the millions viewership 
there'll be a lot more uh, live shared experiences inside of Roblox. That's what everyone's taking away from this. And I think that's something that obviously came up during the pandemic and, and there's a lot of innovative concerts and shared experiences, Travis Scott, et cetera, as a way to get through the pandemic and have, you know, some kind of large event without being able to get together in person. But the reality is there's going to be a lot more of these. And I think especially when it comes to brands understanding that like this wasn't really a stopgap solution. This is very much a lucrative way to hold an event, depending on who your audience is, what you're trying to, you know, get across the experience you're trying to have. There's a lot of different ways that you can operate this in Roblox and in other, you know, similar experiences. So yeah, I think the main takeaway here is this is not the end of live concerts. Roblox seems to have like really invested in what are these innovative experiences? What is it like for the consumer? And when you think about it, you know, in the long term, live concerts, we all miss and are great and we'll be excited to come back. But there is, there are barriers that keep people out of live experiences. It's you know, it's it's financial if someone can't afford a $100 concert ticket. It's geographic if they're in a remote city. There's an accessibility angle. If you're differently abled, you know, attending a concert looks a lot different than it would online. So understanding that like these live experiences actually bring a lot of new people into the mix that might not be able to see, for instance, Lil Nas X in concert. It's going to be something that, you know, brands can take part of, can have a way in shaping how these experiences come to life in the future, but it's not a, sh- a short-term kind of pandemic solution and shouldn't be looked at that way. As someone who's a religious late adopter, uh, even I can say, you know, if you're, again, Amanda, to your point, if you're a smaller advertiser, even now a large agency, if you're kind of expecting that all of these new experiences that came over 2020 are going to disappear, like you're definitely kidding yourself. It's, it's Pandora's box, allegory of the cave, whatever loose literary reference you want to make. You know, once people realize that there's another way to engage with things, the idea that they're so yearning for the past that they're going to completely discount all of these new experiences is, is wild. So definitely, especially as these are newer and there's you know more opportunities to do it in the most experimental way possible, like jump in, jump on it as fast as possible. I think you have this, um, you'll have this like whiplash moment where coming out of it, everyone will be like, let's do it. I want to go in person. I miss being in person, but then it's going to regret, not regress, but it's going to return back to, um, you know, just sort of a a hybrid model. I think we were fedding uh, social audio as the future of everything. It was, um, you know, everyone was lauding it as here to stay and clubhouse was going to be the new behemoth. Uh, you know, more people are deleting Clubhouse now than ever before. I think there are elements of that that will stay. It probably, hint, hint, has something to do with the terrible notification system. Um, but you look at what um, in-game experience, which is what this is about, what Travis Scott, Marshmallow, all of the things that we have seen happen in games in this, in this genre, uh, I think this has unique staying power because a whole generation of content consumers are used to the intertwining of the game experience, the music experience, the cultural experience. So I think what we're what we're going to see is, you know, maybe older millennials or Gen Y or Gen X might enjoy this as like a light 
dalliance and then go back to wanting to have those in-person experiences. But there's an entire tidal wave of content consumers who are coming up where this is like, this is their bread and butter. And they're going to want it to be richer, deeper, more immersive. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But I feel like this is, uh, this is a sign of the times, but also a sign for the future. And last thing I'll say is arguably, eventually it will transcend beyond a an in-game or a gaming experience. Like it seems like the hope here is really, I mean, there's a big race to get to who's going to have a metaverse type setup that actually feels intuitive, actually feels accessible, actually feels fun and like a good, you know, use of your time. And so Roblox seems to be trying to get the lead on, on getting to the metaverse. Juliana. I want to hear anything and everything about TikTok launching longer video options. So lay it on us. Oh, I feel Kenny, you basically have 50% of the story there. Uh, like it's saying on the tin, you know, TikTok notorious for their 30 second to 60 second videos. Uh, they experimented for a little while with allowing select users to start creating videos up to three minutes. And now they're essentially just rolling that out on a larger scale, you know, allowing for creators, especially those that are trying to tell long-form stories, do tutorials, you know, walk you through how to do some sort of DIY thing versus currently where TikTok, you often have to split this up over multi-parts, uh, multi-part episodes. You know, something that users often you'll see in the comments kind of complaining about the need to search for uh, the different parts of the story. Now a user can kind of have all of this uh, collapse into one long form video. And it's really interesting, especially as we see kind of overall, you know, Instagram, uh, Vine, which, you know, RIP, uh, trying to experiment with some longer form content so that uh, so that the entirety uh, of the the content creator's vision can come to life versus them having to kind of collapse it. What will be really interesting, of course, is, you know, as you currently use TikTok, there's really no way to tell how long a video is going to be outside of that running bar underneath. And the kind of mix of what will eventually be this longer form content, the shorter form content, it'll be intriguing to see how users engage if they're expecting those more quick hits uh, and they're suddenly having to sit through something that is, you know, three times as long, uh, even in the, uh, even if we're speaking relatively in minutes. So it'd be really interesting to see as far as how one is used by creators. I think the people on TikTok are overwhelmingly innovative. And so I think this will be very interesting to see, but it'd also be interesting to understand how people are engaging with it. And if they stay as engaged, if they realize they're watching something much longer than intended. And also the shift toward content like just in general i know it's like a word that gets thrown around a lot but really like what is content like it's something that netflix started a long time ago it's something not on tv etc but really that's what every platform is moving towards how do we create to your point options that give the creator and the user a chance to just digest whatever it is they want what rather than open a book or listen to a podcast or watch a movie can all of the content that they consume be in one place i mean these platforms are hoping yes but we'll see yeah, I know. I definitely use uh, TikTok a lot to learn rudimentary Photoshop and Lightroom skills. And watching someone try to click 100 buttons in 60 seconds is as overwhelming as it is loosely informative. So agree, if there comes a world where I can skip going to YouTube and, you know, watching a couple ads up top in order to get that information, you know, it will be intriguing to see if that's where people turn to in order to get those, like you said, longer forms of content, that more engaging type of content. All right. Well, let's see how it goes. Sometimes they just want channels to be themselves and stop trying to be everyone else, but let's see what happens. All right, Amanda, 
Instagram is announcing a shift from photo sharing with a new video feature. Talk to us about that. So this was probably the quote herder on the world that I don't think they knew would be so controversial. But recently, um, I think he's the CEO, Adam Masseri, uh, was quoted saying that Instagram is no longer a photo sharing app or a square photo sharing app. And really what he was getting at is they are testing and adding more video features. They were pretty vague about it. They said words like full screen, immersive, entertaining, mobile first video, which I think they already do pretty well. But he was basically getting at TikTok and YouTube are huge competitors of Instagram. And they're going to keep rolling out video features that put them in direct competition with these. I will say I heard this quote or I saw this quote even on my feed quite a lot um, with uh, Instagram creators who make content on the platform. I think the way that it was received was also that this TikTok-like video is going to be benefited in the algorithm that, you know, people who are creating infographics or other kind of content are going to be deprioritized. So it kind of made a little rift um, in the creator community and Instagram. It's still to be seen exactly what it me- it means for the actual content in the platform. But I thought it was pretty interesting. He didn't just cite TikTok to the point of the conversation we were just having. YouTube is also slowly gaining a lot of usership from TikTok, from Instagram, because they have rolled out some of those shorter form video features that we've been talking about the last couple months. So yeah, they didn't really give a lot of detail of what this includes, but that that quote and that shift into not just being a photo sharing app has gotten a little bit of attention. Okay. We won't dwell on this one. This is, this is, uh, this is, this is informative, but not necessarily interesting. Um, I'm glad we know it, but it's, uh, you know, I would say, I would argue, let's hear it. I, I would argue it's pretty interesting that Instagram thinks of themselves in competition with YouTube. I, I would love to meet the person who's like, sometimes when I can't tell where I'm going to get my makeup, you know, breakdowns and understanding of, you know, uh, YouTuber drama, I just quickly flip to an Instagram ad and see what I can take away from it. But, you know, that's, that's, be, that's for them behind doors. Follow Juliana on all of her social media channels to hear more about this at a later time. I would say the most interesting thing that's happening right now on the, in the world of Instagram, I, in my opinion, I'm just going to add in an extra thing, is that you can share tweets directly to your Instagram stories now, which is the best thing in the entire world. So um, I no longer have to have 9,000 screenshots of tweets in my photo roll. Uh, all right. I like the screenshots. They're like okay. a little like memory book. I've got the last word here, so I'm just going to keep rolling. Um, All right. So our fifth thing here is that Pinterest is taking the lead and banning ads with unhealthy weight loss language and imagery. This is my thing, so I will talk about it. Um, They had previously banned before and after pictures, which I think is, um, you know, it's a good step in the right direction. But now they are pinterest is partnering with the national eating disorders association and really taking their guidance and banning all weight loss related ads from the platform so uh this is not this is the biggest step that one of the major channels have taken instagram and facebook in the past and twitter as well have sort of clamped down on um the like miracle diet ads but this is really you know i feel like we've come full circle from our conversation about Norway. Uh, but this is a step in the right direction to have conversations around healthy eating, healthy, um, you know, weight management, 
uh, and living a healthy lifestyle in a way that is productive. I think coming out of COVID, where a lot of people have been sitting at home and there have been, you know, the pendulum has swung. You know, there are people who have overindulged because they're sitting at home and they're dealing with the stressors of what's going on in society. There are people who have taken the opportunity to get, uh, you know, in their version of fit. Uh, but it's good to see the major channels taking steps to help combat um, the unhealthy expectation that you need to diet, 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 and live your life sort of in this constant state of trying to figure out how to meet society's idea of what healthy looks like. Um, so I applaud Pinterest for this. And Juliana or Amanda, anything you want to throw in there? Yeah, I mean, I definitely like love the idea of Pinterest trying to create basically an aura of a safe space, right? You know, it's very easy, especially in a space where anyone can input content for uh, the type of content to get out of control. If any of you were on Tumblr in 2014, you know what I'm talking about. But what's really interesting to me about this policy is the fact that, you know, it's pro prohibiting things like any weight loss language or imagery, any testimonials regarding weight loss or weight loss products, any reference to BMI or things like that. So if, you know, you think about a brand like, say, Noom, you know, this opens the door for how do we have a conversation about a weight loss product that, you know, isn't intentionally nefarious, but is going to have to tiptoe a lot around those guidelines. And so for those more legitimate weight loss brands, because that is still something that people have a desire to engage in, you know, the taking away the ability to talk about it doesn't take away the desire that people have to lose weight. You know, how will these brands be able to kind of dance around these, these wires effectively in order to still communicate to the audience that's looking for those options, um, but in a way that doesn't set off the Pinterest trigger. Amen. I agree. Juliana, you get the last word um, because you just nailed it. Uh, this has been fun and interesting. I haven't been on the pod in a while, so I'm glad to be back and talking to both of you. Uh, if you have any questions for us, if there's anything that you want to tell us, if you want to give us feedback, specifically me feedback, I do really well with you know, constructive criticism, you can email us at podcastsetgrade.com. If you don't already, be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. And finally, for the first time in a while, I will say, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. <laughs>